Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John chapter 8, verse 12, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest, while the rest of us are seated. Welcome to Grace. My name is Beth Balmer. Um, Thank you for joining us on this. This is the third week of our Advent season, and... We've been kind of taking some time to traffic in this Advent theme of the light of Christ coming into the darkness of the world. And so on that first week, we looked a little bit at that darkness, what it means, how the world is is broken and it can't do anything to fix or restore or save itself. And then last week, Daniel took us a little bit into looking at Jesus being the light that came into that darkness and how his, his appearance was kind of a surprise. It was, it was invasive at some level. It wasn't what people expected it to be. You know, the Jews had waited all this time for this warrior king to come and overturn politics and government. And then Jesus shows up in the very um, powerless and sort of humble form of a newborn baby and then continues to surprise people by acting much more like a servant or a slave than he was a mighty warrior king. And so this week, the text that we're in, we come to another surprise. And the surprise is that Jesus, when he came, he didn't just eradicate all of the evil and all of the darkness in the world, even though he came and was the light of the world. He didn't eradicate everything. It wasn't the end of evil. It was the beginning of the end, but it wasn't the end. Do you ever wonder why Jesus just didn't just call it when he came, right? Why didn't he just arrive and kind of turn the lights on, as it were, and cause an end to all of those things? He could have, but he didn't. And so we hear him turn around in this Matthew 5 passage that you heard this morning and say, you are the light of the world. In John 8, he claims, I am the light of the world, the ultimate light of the world. But now he's turning around in Matthew 5 and saying, Now you are the light of the world. He passed the torch, literally passed the torch to his disciples and on to us to be those light bearers going forward. Turn with me, if you will, to um, this passage in Matthew 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat underneath your seat. It's on page 810. And this text today, we're in verse... uh, 14. The text today is found 
fairly early in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus has hundreds of his disciples up on a hill, and he's beginning to teach them about how to be his followers. I think we often read the Sermon on the Mount, it's found in chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew, we often read this as like a list of instructions or a list of to do, things to do in order to be Jesus' disciples. And it's much more about ways of being than it is about ways of doing. He doesn't say, if you do this thing, and then you do that thing, and then you do this one other thing, then you'll have the ability, you'll have the capability of bearing a light from somewhere within yourself. No. He says, you are. You are the light of the world. And now if you live these ways, the ways that I'm going to tell you about in chapters 5 through 7 on his Sermon on the Mount, if you live these ways, then you will look different from those around you, right? You're going to look different. You're going to be different to them. And I think that's what Jesus is calling his followers to be, to be a, what Michael Goheen refers to as a contrast community. That's what his disciples are supposed to be in the world. So we're supposed to live differently in the present, modeling ways that point to the culmination of God's future, which is what? the coming of his incredible and glorious kingdom in all of its fullness. So we are to be opposite. We're to be counter. We're to be different to those around us. And as we go on in the Sermon on the Mount, we see those ways of being that Jesus calls us to, right? As you look through even even the headings in your Bible, you can see some of the things that Jesus is talking about, ways of being. He says, don't be angry. Be not angry. Be forgiving, be faithful, be sexually pure, be promise keepers, be people who keep your word, be loving to your enemies. He goes on and says, be generous with your money, with your possessions, even with your very self. Be free from worry. Gosh, what word is that for us today, right? That God, that Jesus would say, one of the ways you can look radically different from those around you is to be free from anxiety and worry and fear for the future. You can trust in me. That is a way that we look radically different from those around us. And why are we doing all this being? Look at verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that God would receive the glory, right? We're doing all this being. We're being like Jesus so that God receives the ultimate glory so that people would recognize Jesus in us and they would turn to him and follow him. This may sound really, really obvious, but one of the main things that shining the light of Christ accomplishes is that it helps people to find their way. Proverbs 4.19 says... The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They cannot tell what makes them stumble. They can't tell what makes them stumble because they can't even see what it is that they keep on tripping over, right? Our light bearing is to show people the direction to the right way. We're supposed to help illuminate the pathway to the ultimate light, which is Jesus. Turn back to Matthew 5. The people around us should benefit from our ways of being like Christ, right? It says here in verse 16, no, in verse 15, 
says, everyone in the house benefits from the light being turned on, right? Even if they didn't ask for the light to be switched on in the first place, even if they're perfectly comfortable sitting in the darkness, they benefit when the light is switched on. Do you ever, you ever sitting in a room and the light's kind of growing dim and you don't realize how dim it is until somebody comes in and turns on the light and you suddenly go, oh, that's better. I can now see what it was that I was trying to read, right? Everyone in the house benefits when the light is turned on, even if they didn't ask for it in the first place. To a certain extent, the people around you don't get a choice as to whether or not they receive or whether or not they experience the light of Christ being shone into their darkness, right? It's not like you have to ask people if you have permission to show generosity to them or kindness or extend forgiveness or live these ways of Christ before them. Another kind of non-choice in this passage, if you will, is found in Jesus's words, you are the light of the world, not you could be or you will be, or you might be, if you do this, that, and the other. You are the light of the world, is what Jesus says. Bonhoeffer says this. If I can use my fancy gadget now, get a slide. Bonhoeffer says this. The followers of Jesus are no longer faced with a decision. The only decision possible for them has already been made, that is, to become a follower of Jesus in the first place. Now they have to be what they are, or they are not following Jesus. So hands up if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, who's very brave enough to say. Okay? Keep your hands up. Robin LaBarbera, you are the light of the world. Matt Wheel, you are the light of the world. Ramona, you are the light of the world. Paula Victor, you are the light of the world. Rick Beanie, you are the light of the world. Amanda Gagne, you are the light of the world. (laughs) See how my eyesight got slightly worse as it got further to the side of the room? These people are good. You are the light of the world. That is incredible. What a thing to own. What a thing to step into. The only choice it seems like we do have in this passage is whether we're going to conceal the light of Jesus in us. Okay? Jesus describes it as hiding under a bowl. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, flee the darkness and only take your light where it's going to be welcome. He categorically tells us to shine in the darkness, right? We're supposed to shine so that the people around us might see and presumably benefit from the light of Christ that is in us. I think that there are about, there's three ways that the light of Christ can end up becoming concealed or kind of more invisible to those around us that I want to talk about this morning. The first way is an invisibility by assimilation, right? We become like those to whom we're called to be different and to whom we're called to be in contrast. Look at this beautiful piece of tree bark. Oh, wait, no, it's a poisonous, venomous spider. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's a piece of tree bark. It is actually a poisonous, venomous spider. Isn't that great? But it's so concealed, it's so camouflaged within the bark that you could put your hand on that spider and not be even aware of the power of this venom that's about to soar through your body. Go by all means and be in the places with the people who need the light of Christ in their darkness the most. But don't become like them in their darkness, right? Jesus ate with 
religious extremists and women of dubious character and dodgy tax collectors all the time. But he was rubbing off on them much more than they were rubbing off on him. Our job is not to blend in like that spider. Jesus did not blend in. You know the two main responses that people had when they met Jesus? They either um, kind of bowed down and worshipped him, acknowledged him for who he claimed to be, and turned their lives around and followed him. Or they got super angry and tried to find ways to get rid of him. Is that the way people respond to Christ when they see him in me? Or have I maybe toned him down a little bit so that their responses aren't quite that extreme? Second way that we might conceal that light and hide it under a bowl is to do with separating ourselves or literally just hiding ourselves away, right? Check out this anglerfish, it's called. Look at that cute little guy. He's got, you can kind of see them underneath his mouth a little bit. He's got these tiny two little feet that actually kind of walks along the bottom of the ocean floor. And he's got this cool, it's called a lure. It's like a fishing pole that sticks out from just above his head, and it's a way that he attracts his prey to come close to him. Incredible little creature, and he lives three and a half miles below the surface of the ocean on the seafloor. So hardly anybody ever gets to benefit from seeing this incredible creature, right? This beautiful, incredible thing that God created, and hardly anybody ever gets to benefit from him. What use is that? Right? What use is a light that is concealed? What use is treasure that is buried? From Bonhoeffer again. The followers are the visible community of faith. The visible community of faith. Their discipleship is a visible act which separates them from the world. Separates them, but doesn't completely remove them. It makes us different. To flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. Those are strong words, right? They're his words, not my words. A third way that maybe the light of Christ in us becomes not quite so contrasting to those around us is that it just becomes dim, right? The light that once burned so brightly within us just becomes a little bit dimmer. It starts to fade a little bit. We grow weary of being different. We grow tired of there being no results. We grow tired of praying and hoping for change. The darkness starts to feel too strong. The darkness starts to feel too dark. We feel alone. We feel uninspired in the work that we're doing. When we lose sight of the big picture of what God is doing, we start to think that our piece in the puzzle isn't very important. I want to remind you today that the tapestry that God is creating is made up of millions of threads, as it were. Do not begin to believe the lie that your thread is useless or silly or insignificant. Paul says we don't get to see in full the big picture of what it is that God is creating. We don't get to see it in full right now. 
And that kind of piggybacks a little bit on, if you were here last week, you heard Sarah share her story. And it, the reason why that story, and I said this last week, but the reason why her testimony of how she met Jesus um, was so like reorienting or uplifting to me is because it reminded me that God is still taking people out of darkness and moving them into light, right? God is still doing that work that he began so long ago. If I lose sight of that, then my daily life becomes just about me and what I'm doing. I'm losing sight of the big picture that God has called me into doing something much bigger, right? Look at this. This is a tapestry. It's a half-done tapestry. You kind of can get the idea of what it's going to look like when it's complete, right? You get, the, you get the idea of the big picture, but it's not finished. And imagine if all the, say, the red bits of thread in that tapestry decided to opt out because they thought, you know what, it's not, I make it insignificant. My little piece of thread, it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. Nobody will even notice, right? Then that picture, when it's done, would be even more substantially incomplete than it currently is. Here's some good news. You are not alone in this task of living differently, nor should you be. You are not a solo star who's called to light up the whole night sky all by yourself and your solo little starness, right? Jesus didn't even try to do this by himself. Jesus was always calling other people to participate in his mission with them. Jesus was always found in community and doing the task of bringing the kingdom to bear in concert with others. He didn't just tell his message to one person and then say, hey, when I'm gone, like tell that one other person and then we'll one by one we'll very slowly take over the world. No, he told hundreds of people and hundreds of people told thousands of people and thousands of people told millions of people and so on and so forth. And then someone told you and someone told me. And that is how the light of Christ continues to grow in and through us to those around us. Jesus says, you're all little pieces of me. You're all little pieces of that light that actually when you work together, you're pretty effective in bringing life and light and hope and change to the world. There is a power whenever you bring a whole bunch of lights together that is not the same when those lights are individually separated off. We need one another. It is not easy work to do alone. It's not easy being different all the time. And it's certainly not easy being a contrast community all by yourself. We need one another's creative inspiration. We need one another's support. We need one another's prayers. We need one another's experiences. And we need one another's life together. Church community is also a primary place to practice Jesus' ways of being, right? If I can't apologize to someone here when I've wronged them, who I know is going to probably receive me with grace and forgiveness because she is also trying to follow in these Jesus ways, how am I going to fare whenever I have to go out and apologize to someone who's not coming from that place, someone who might take that and kind of throw it back on me or build it up into something else, or even spit in my face. 
this community is a place where we get to practice Jesus' ways of being with one another. And we need to be in that together. So, who God has created you uniquely to be? And where God has placed you uniquely to be? That is how you get to be the light of the world in the darkness, right? That is how God has seen fit to bring his kingdom to Long Beach, California in 2019, and hopefully a little bit beyond that. It's how the kingdom, the light, continues to grow in the darkness around us. You being generous, you being a keeper of your word, you being radically inclusive at your dinner table, you being patient in your home, in your school, in your workplace, that is you being a contrast in an otherwise impatient and stingy and power-hungry kind of me-first world. I found myself yesterday, as I was kind of dwelling on preparing for this, realizing that you should never offer to preach a sermon on something that is talking about like ways of being like Jesus, right? It highlights everything. It's a word of warning to anybody who offers to preach. It highlights everything that you're like, oh, yes, okay, this is where I'm not doing those things, and I'm about to get up and preach. I would say... I don't really have a problem being generous. Like, it's slightly the way that God has wired me. Like, I, I take great joy and delight in being generous. I don't, I'm not sort of very possessive of things. So, when I think about the ways that God has uniquely created me to bring the light of Christ, that's a way that I feel like I get to do. Where I would say I struggle is with patience, and specifically yesterday with my children, right? These are ways where I find myself not showing the light of Christ to those around me, not being the light bearer, not even illuminating the pathway to Christ because the ways that I am necessarily being with them are kind of concealing a little bit of the light of Christ within me. And I say that because I want to encourage us this morning to, I think I want to encourage us to be, sit in that word of you are the light of the world, right? Diana, you are the light of the world. And that's something that we don't have to struggle to do. It's not a doing thing. There's nothing to do. You just are. But I also want to invite us to think of the ways where that is a struggle, right? The places where we do either kind of put a wall around ourselves or things that we run into where it's hard for us to bear the light of Christ. There are areas that we avoid, because we don't want to kind of do, do the, the change work or allow the light of Christ to kind of bring a challenge to us first that we would then bring that to other people. Our lives, our ways of being, even our contrast community here at Grace, which you are, we are, we are modeling God's future and inbreaking kingdom into this world. And we look forward to the day when there's no need for that light to shine because the light of Christ will have come in all its fullness. Revelation 21 talks about that, 
how when the light of Christ comes in its fullness, there will be no more night, there will be no more darkness, because the glory of God will shine in all its fullness. I want to leave you with another word of encouragement to you from 1 Peter 2. Verse 9 says this, But you are grace, you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation. Do we believe that about ourselves? We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen race that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I said this last week as well. We all have that story. We all have a story. If we have turned our lives to follow Christ, we have a story of being taken from darkness into his wonderful light. And that is part of the light that we get to generate to one another, right? Sharing that story, sharing that testimony with others and bringing encouragement to those who are still in darkness and hopelessness. So that is my word of encouragement to you today, to step into that. You are the light of the world. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're going to take a couple minutes to reflect, as we've been doing in these Advent series. Three questions that this passage raised for me. Number one, what are the specific ways that God has equipped me to be different to be a contrast to those around me. I touched on that a couple of minutes ago. What are the specific ways that God has gifted you to be uniquely different? And then number two, who are the men in this passage? Who are the people around me before whom I might be called to shine Jesus's light? And then the third question, and this is important, how might I partner with Jesus in being a light bearer this week? We're going to sit for a couple minutes in those questions, and I invite you, especially with that last question, that's a conversation for you to have with Jesus. Where does he want you to be his light bearer? How does he want you to be a light bearer, a light bringer this week? Who are the people to whom you're called to bear that light, and what are the ways in which you might do that? So let me pray and ask God to meet us in this. Father, as I look around this room, it's actually really easy for for me to name names and identify the people who are doing an incredible job of bearing your light in the darkness around us. And I'm really grateful for that, God. You have given this community incredible talent, incredible eyes, incredible um, opportunities to step into being your light bearers in Long Beach and beyond. Father, I ask today for those that are tired, even in that task, that you would bring energy. God, that you would reawaken us to the bigger picture of what we're part of. Lord, that it wouldn't be just about us with our eyes down on what we can do to make a difference. We can't make a difference. We need you to make a difference, and we offer ourselves again willingly to be part of that. But help us to to remember the big picture. Help us to be caught up in something that is beyond ourselves. Lord, as we pause now to to think on these three things, to think on the ways that you might have us be your light bearers in the communities where we are, would you speak? 
Would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our eyes to see who's around us and where we might step in this week? We want to bring your light to those in darkness around us, and we want to do it in the ways that you would have us. So speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.